Hello, Zach Stahowski here. Before we get into our next episode, we wanted to take a moment to thank you for the amazing response we've had to our first episode. Thousands of people have listened to our interview with Father Michael Jonkis about the song On Eagle's Wings. Do remember to subscribe to our podcast through iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. Every once in a while, we'll release special bonus clips with some footage that didn't make it into the episode. Also, please remember that five-star ratings on iTunes help to promote the podcast and help other people to find it. If you haven't already, be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We are also excited to announce that Matt and I will be at the National Association of Pastoral Musicians Conference in Cincinnati this July. We'll be excited to meet our listeners, and we hope to see you there. And now, please enjoy our next episode. All are welcome. You know, Zach, one of the things that I've appreciated about our conversations with composers so far is just to hear more about the way that they have such a personal relationship with many of their songs. You know, I agree. I had the privilege of hearing Marty uh, speak not too long ago about All Are Welcome. And, you know, of all the amazing songs that he's written, I was surprised to hear how uh, deeply he felt about All Are Welcome. And it shouldn't be surprising that these composers have a personal relationship, but it's interesting than the emotional response that people have to songs. A lot of times we think of church songs that people just absolutely love, but sometimes we forget that there are church songs that people take real exceptions to or can in fact be really controversial. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting to hear Marty kind of parse that out um, and respond to some of the um, criticism that he's received on this song. I totally agree. Let's begin. So please open your hymnal to All Are Welcome. Let us build a house where love can dwell and all can safely live. A place where saints and My name is Marty Haugen, and for the past 30-35 years I have worked independently as a liturgical composer and done workshops and conferences for a variety of denominations. I currently belong to Mayflower United Church of Christ in Minneapolis. I help out with the music, but uh, when I can, I sit in the assembly and sing along with them. All are welcome in this place. When I am writing, it's always contextual based on what I see is happening in my own life, but happening in the faith community I belong to, and what I see is happening in the world at large. And then using oftentimes the lectionary and scripture as a guide, I ask myself, how is God's word speaking to us in general and to me in particular right now? And how can I use music as a way of making that voice heard and making it a voice that invites other people into the conversation. Around 1990, I guess it was, a couple of things sort of converged. I had been feeling at that point very much aware, because I'm working ecumenically with a lot of different denominations, I've been thinking about how each denomination finds its own way to understand the welcome of Jesus. 
to our communities, to our worship, to our table, and how we as people of faith and how we as a larger culture invite or don't invite people. And for me, Scripture has consistently talked about Jesus' welcome as being unconditional. And at the same time, I had a friend, Tom Cummers, who was my last pastor at my last parish. And he was starting a new community. He was also a friend of Michael Jonkus's, And it was very much near to my own home. And I knew that Tom was someone who really wanted to make a welcoming community. So I was imagining, and for me, I think I try as much as possible to imagine an actual faith community when I'm writing rather than trying to write for some kind of abstract church. Um, so I imagined his community gathering, as they did it initially in uh, homes and then in uh, a school gymnasium before the church, and how he would want that community to welcome. So I had the kernel of what I wanted it to be, uh, an image of how all are welcome without any conditions. So the idea was I wanted to write something that would say that, and even though it wasn't going to be related to a specific piece of scripture, I was going to use a lot of, um, tap into a lot of the way Jesus welcomed in the Gospels, especially. Even though Marty didn't have a specific passage from scripture in mind when he began writing this, he certainly begins with the text first before he even begins considering a melody when he writes his songs. As a liturgical composer, and I think this would not be the same for everybody writing, but for me, words, lyrics, scripture always comes first because I think we're not trying to just give beautiful melodies to people. We're trying to help pass on faith and pass on the gospel. I've oftentimes in workshops talked about how most Roman Catholics could not recite the 91st Psalm, but most of them can sing two or three or four verses of On Eagle's Wings. So music becomes a powerful way of remembering words. And because of that, I think the words have to be primary because people will remember the words if they're secondary and not good theology or not good poetry. Or uh, So that I always try and make the music support the words. And it isn't hard. You can hear if you, uh, being sort of a Scandinavian Midwesterner, I don't have a lot of dynamism in my voice. But uh, if you've met somebody who does, you can almost hear the music in the way they speak. So in my head, I am hearing how this might sing itself, how the language wants to be sung. So you always start with the language. I remember... Um, way back in the 70s and 80s, talking with my friend Tom Connery, who was a text writer. And he, in turn, was quoting um, Hub Oosterhus, a Dutch writer. And he said, don't use words like love or peace or hope, because people can twist love to mean whatever they want, or peace to mean whatever they want. Use words like rock and tree and rafter <laughs> and floor, uh, because people can imagine a song being going up to the rafters. Uh, and so it was interesting. I was trying to use Anglo-Saxon words, <laughs> if, if that makes sense, uh, to say things, that this is a, a solid thing. This is a house. It was influenced, I'm sure, by the, the Dutch piece, What Is This Place? 
where we are meeting in the new house. The earth is full of walls and no sheltering people, windows for light and open door. Images so concrete, yet it becomes the body that lives when we are gathered here and know that Christ is near. I mean, you couldn't write a better text than that one, but I was trying to do it in my own way. Uh, I didn't intend for it to have the shape of the liturgy, but it ended up having that, with the first verse being about gathering, and the second about word, the third about meal, and the fourth and the fifth verses being more about how we are sent out in mission. And in each case, I was saying, how does the welcome of Jesus get lived out in our worship and in our lives? When I put all our welcome, I wasn't really thinking of it as any one particular kind of welcome. Nathan Mitchell famously said Jesus was killed for the way he ate, because he sat down and ate with all the people he wasn't supposed to eat with. So I think at all levels you ask yourself, uh, what does welcoming mean for us? Marty Haugen was actually one of my very first teachers in the trade of liturgical composition. And um, I'll never forget when uh, we brought our pieces in for him to see, you know, we had all been influenced by a variety of things. I know that I had just listened to the soundtrack of Rent for the first time, so all my music sounded like the songs from Rent, and it was highly orchestrated and all the bells and whistles of everything you could imagine. And Marty so lovingly just told us, when you write liturgical music, you need to think of it as though you're building a chair. It could be as beautiful as you want it to be, but at the end of the day, you have to be able to sit in it. And from then on, you know, that's something that's that's always stuck with me. So it was really great to hear Marty talk about how he constructed the melody and the music for All Our Welcome. I think any piece of music for a congregation has to work a cappella. If you think of the great hymns, for all the saints who from... The, if they don't work a cappella, instruments aren't going to fix them. So that's why I said when I'm writing, I get up and walk away from the keyboard and sing. Sometimes the melody changes because if the keyboard has been driving any part of the melody and the keyboard is taken away, then the melody has to go back to where the voice wants it to go. I've been very influenced by folk melodies and folk music. And ironically, uh, when I was writing All Our Welcome, I started by just choosing a folk melody that I liked, the Kingsfold. And so the original tune was, Let us build a house where love can dwell and all can safely live, a place where saints and... And what I found was I ran out of notes <laughs> before I ran out of words. And, uh, and I realized at some point that I wanted that refrain, all are welcome to be almost like it ended up being a refrain. So I, I finally just abandoned the King's Fold idea and started over again. Oftentimes when I get stuck, I find I change the meter, I change the key, and just start all over again. It's it, Initially, I think when you first start writing music, you write a piece and think, okay, this can't really change, I've, I've got it, you know, I was inspired. and. As you work longer and longer, you start to see, you know, it's an evolving, each piece has its own evolution, and you can throw it away and start over, and 
and you keep working at it until the words are singing as naturally and as faithfully as you want them to or you think you can do. So that was a big part of the process. I knew I wanted a folk-like melody, and I think it has the kind of intervals, you know, da-da-da-da-da, step motion, not a great big range. So it's, it's, I hope, the kind of thing that gets to be easily sung without being so insipid that you're sick of it after you've sung it three times. That's sort of the trick. There was a famous book, which I assume is probably out of print, and I think, although I'm not sure, that it was called The Singing Assembly. And it was a study on how to write congregational music, melodies. And it, but it could have been a, a, an examination of folk music, diatonic melodies, not a lot of major leaps, not, uh, with, within a limited range or tessitura, and some logical downward movement at the end of a phrase, because the voice can handle it better than going up to a high note. I can say this because I've said this to Michael, but I always use Michael Jonkis' On Eagle's Wings as a perfect example of a song that violates every single rule that there is, and yet people just demand to sing that. So. There's a lot of rules, and I follow them. That's why I never would have written on Eagle's Wings, <laughs> but I wish I had. But that, So the rules, uh, I think I follow those rules most of the time in terms of you know, following simple, diatonic, not as chromatic as, as you might want, um, not huge leaps. The, on Eagle's Wings, go from a low A to a high D, an octave and a fourth, and it's got, it starts on a chromatic note. So I mean, it, the rules are there, but... Sometimes they work without them. You know, I think I've heard the recording to this song, All Are Welcome, dozens of times, if not hundreds of times. But in listening to Marty's interview again and in speaking with him about this process, this has now become one of my favorite liturgical recordings because of Marty's emphasis on authenticity in the recording process. But again, his return to the centrality and importance of accessibility when it comes to congregational song. Talking about recording it really ages me. I because when we started, the, my my colleagues, we were back in the days of studios with making LPs, those great big platters, and then those recordings were always done in studios. Or you know, there were there were remote recordings for classical music, but they were pretty unusual because they were very uh, complex to create. Um, but studio work tended to be artificial to me. I, it always seemed artificial. I remember in the early days, in 1980s, early 1980s, I was at a recording session in Minneapolis, and Suicide Martin, who's a mentor for David and, and I a lot, was there, and I was asking her if she'd direct the choir, and, and she said at that point, you know, she didn't want to because she really thought there shouldn't be liturgical recordings. She said, we're, we're doing something, taking it out of the context of we're creating something new that's not singing in church. Now, I think she moderated her position later, but it raised a really interesting point. And I'm going to pause here, Zach, because I thought that this question that Suicide Martin raised to Marty about whether it's appropriate to have recordings of liturgical songs was really fascinating, and it wasn't necessarily one that I had considered before this. So as a parish music director, I'd be really interested to hear if you have any insights into this just from your own professional perspective. 
Yeah, I mean, of course, we're never going to use these recordings as a replacement for assembly prayer, assembly singing. But um, as a music director, I find great value in using these uh, recordings as a pedagogical tool for uh, for me to learn the song and then uh, to share that with the members of my choir to help them in their learning of the song. So when you're in your car at a stoplight and you're rocking out to the Gloria from Massive Creation, it doesn't feel a little weird than the next Sunday. Yeah, um, that happens maybe a few more times than I like to admit. Up until the 1990s, I think, right before, shortly before this album, I had been recording at Paisley Park in just outside of the Twin Cities where Prince, it was Prince's studio. And it was, on the one hand, really expensive. And the other hand, about as artificial an environment as you could possibly imagine for liturgical music. And I wasn't happy with it. Um, so I talked to the engineer at Paisley and I talked to GI and said, I would like to do things outside of a studio. And um, would you support me in that? And I said, I think if you support me in getting the equipment, I can save enough money in the studio to pay for it. And I don't want to have the ability to do what you do at Paisley, but I want to make simple recordings really well. So we bought some really nice equipment, but we didn't buy a lot of it. We just bought enough to do simple recordings. And All Remote Welcome was the first album, I think, that all the basic tracks were recorded in my home. Ever since then, almost all the recorded tracks are done there. And the solos have been done there. The choir we do in a, either in a church or in a studio, and the bigger instrumentation, things like brass. But um, I liked the home. I mean, it's obviously not a church, but it is a place where you can sit and be more attentive to the music making without the clock. I've always liked doing the choirs in a church, uh, just because it just seems more right. I grew up with hymns. I love hymns. Uh, they're not the be-all and end-all. In fact, the Roman Catholic liturgical form is not very hospitable to hymns because usually you're moving and doing something. So you have a lot more song form, ostinato. But I love hymns. And this is one, I, there's a lot I wanted to say. So I took five verses. And I thought, and this was a more a recording decision. I thought, if you sing five verses of a hymn, five verses in a row, it's going to get so boring. So I thought, I want the piece to build. And I thought by starting with just my voice, the song would have somewhere to go. Uh, I also thought it was interesting to start an album with one person just singing unaccompanied. I've always thought that we rely too much on instrumentation. Uh, many cultures hear great music and worship without any instruments at all. And I wanted to sing the verse of the hymn so people could say, oh, that you can sing that. You don't need the instruments. That was the idea of starting it by myself. Hear the love of Christ shall end divisions. All are welcome. At Paisley, you know, the engineer was the first one to say to me, or you could do this, or you could do this, or you could do this. There was a hundred ways you go. But I always kept coming back to, I wanted to sound doable by a parish when they hear it. I want it to sound like, oh yeah, we could do that. Um, so I've always 
since my very first parish job, I've been writing my woodwind parts and brass parts and string parts. The When I do the basic tracks with piano and guitar and bass and percussion, I will we'll just get together in the living room in my house and play it until it sounds like something that's going to work. I know the tempo because I know it has to be singable by a congregation and I know the shape. Sometimes things will change when the instrumentalists play, but if they do change, I want to try and make sure that they change in a way that, that someone can still say, I can do that, if that makes sense. When I violate my own rule, usually the song just isn't going to make it anyway because it's people are going to hear it and say, no, that, that may be interesting, but we're not going to do that next Sunday. I think what Marty says here about our over-reliance on instruments is spot on. Um, it's a little hard for me to say because I myself am primarily an instrumentalist, but I had a great experience uh, last year. My wife and I, we went on our honeymoon to San Francisco, and so I Facebook messaged uh, Father Ricky Manalo, who lives in San Francisco, and asked him for a recommendation of where to go. And he said, you have to go to St. Gregory of Nyssa. This was an amazing place. I'll never forget. Uh, they have their choir rehearsal with anyone who wants to be in the choir right before the service. And then the choir sits among the assembly, not in a separate place. And all the singing throughout the service is a cappella, and everyone participates, and it is so beautiful and so moving. Um, it's just it's a it's a feeling that I myself have wanted to capture, and bring back to uh, the community that that I minister at too. Um, and so you know I think what Marty says uh, is is really true, and if we as music directors can really seek to um, foster that a spirit of assembly singing, I think we'll all kind of achieve better prayer and better participation at Mass. This song, All Are Welcome, has ecumenical roots, like Marty spoke about at the beginning of our interview. And it was interesting to me to hear him say more about his approach to writing the text for this song, what he intended the message to be, not just for Catholic congregations, but for all Christian congregations who might find a way to sing and pray this piece. At least in my opinion, the things that separate us are less important than the things that unite us. All Christian denominations, or most Christian denominations, would say that a sacred gathering around the table in memory, in celebration of Jesus' death and resurrection is an important piece. How we understand that uh, theologically varies enormously, and those differences are very real. At the same time, I think one thing we share in common as followers of Jesus is the mandate to welcome people. So I think because of my work ecumenically, that became a much more of a salient point. I think of music sometimes as a subversive ecumenical force, that it, it actually, when we sing, and I know that All Are Welcome has had some real detractors who have said that this is not something we should sing or it doesn't speak the truth, and I don't think we always sing what is realized of God's reign. I think sometimes we sing what we hope for, and All Are Welcome was meant to be something that says, 
as Jesus prayed in John uh, on his last night with the disciples, I pray that they may all be one. Well, I don't think the church has been one since the resurrection. <laughs> right away there were divisions. But it's still our hope that the reign is one and that we will all welcome eventually uh, all people into the kingdom. I really appreciated Marty sharing with us some of his thoughts about the concerns that people have had about all are welcome. Uh, you know, he shared with us that some people are concerned about the phrase, let us build, because it's God that builds, and we participate in that, but we don't build ourselves. And I think all of this goes back to the previous point he made about the concreteness of text and how important it is that when we use words in text, especially words that we're going to have congregations sing and pray, that we have to understand that there might be room for people to interpret differently or ascribe different motives than maybe what the composer or text writer intended. Yeah, I think, you know, Marty does a really good job speaking to these criticisms. Um, I was surprised to learn just in my research for this podcast that um, All Are Welcome was almost not included in um, various hymnals because some of the bishops uh, voiced opposition to the song. Um, I think perhaps the most scathing critique was one I found from uh, the Bishop of Madison, uh, Wisconsin, uh, who writes um, in an article titled, The Beauty of Our Worship in the Liturgy. Um, he goes on to say that uh, beautiful means in the first place embodying the truth. I'm reading right from the article here. He says, some of the songs that we sing at liturgy contain lyrics which clearly are not true. For example, the song, All Are Welcome. As a matter of fact, the liturgy takes place mystically in the heavenly sanctuary. All are welcome at the liturgy who truly seek salvation in and through Jesus Christ by following God's will as spelled out through his son's very body, the church. He goes on to say, Thus the song, All Are Welcome, gives an impression that the choice for the will of Jesus Christ as it comes through the church makes no difference, and could, nothing could be farther from the truth. Uh, it could therefore be concluded that the song, All Are Welcome, is not beautiful so as to be appropriate for litur liturgical use. Being true is necessary before anything can be beautiful. I mean, what do you think of that, Matt? Well, again, for me, it all comes back to concreteness of text. You know, as Marty pointed out, when he wrote All Are Welcome, he didn't have one particular kind of welcome in mind or one type of interpretation. And I think the commentary here might be that the word welcome has become a word that's no longer concrete. If you think about what's happening in our world, what's happening in the church, in politics, etc., Whenever we hear the word welcome, we now hear political words or policy words, and maybe that's been a significant change culturally, and maybe that's why we have a difficult time sometimes wrapping our arms around this text. I agree. I mean, I think even if we take what the bishop is saying at face value here, um, I'm reminded of uh, um, something that David Haas says at his workshops, which is to say that sinners are not welcome at church would be to say that people who are out of shape are not welcome at a gym. You know, I think what Marty also says about we sing what we hope to be true um, also also speaks to this criticism. I'm sure this happens to all published liturgical composers when they go out and talk to people. They get asked, what's your favorite song? And 
I don't think you can answer that. But I do think All Are Welcome might be the most timely song that I've written in the sense that right now I think it's a song that at least needs to be addressed. Wherever Christians come down on issues about welcoming, whether it's into your own particular community or into your city or neighborhood or whether into the country, I think it's a question that is is a question of faith for Christians. In these times, and I'm speaking now in May of 2017, I have thought faith communities have a more important role than they have in the last 20 years precisely because I think there is such contentiousness and division in the larger culture. People have lost faith. Many people have lost faith in political institutions. Many people have lost faith in the media. Uh, They question whether things they can believe or not. And I think, consequently, I think a lot of people are looking at two faith communities to be a place where they can believe what they hear. And so when I tried to write All Are Welcome, I was trying to write in in fairly simple language how I think faith communities should be for people. One night after choir, I got on the bus at about 10.30 at night, and I was alone, so I sat up next to the driver. We chatted for a while, and then out of the blue, he says, have you been born again? And I thought, oh no, why did I sit here? And then we started chatting, and obviously he thought that a Christian life was one in which you had a one-time, non-repeatable encounter with Jesus, and your life was changed, and then there was before conversion and after. And it set me thinking, and I've come to believe that for me, conversion is a lifelong, ongoing process, that the scriptures and the community, every time we gather, we're being asked, how are we being moved by the word this day to be transformed? When I sing things on Sunday or hear words preached or spoken or proclaimed, it breaks me open over and over again to ask how am I being challenged to be transformed at this moment in time? So I think the song is one of the songs that can possibly open people to the possibility of asking themselves, am I welcoming in the way that Jesus was? Given the fact that the song can be controversial or that there are you know, strong opinions, to say the least, among some people about this song, we asked Marty what advice he would give or, or what he would say to a parish music director who's considering selecting this song for their community to pray. And here's what he had to say. Worship is at its deepest, profoundly level about sacred relationship. And when people say, I won't sing that, I don't like that, you can't make me do this, it's a lack of trust. It may involve taste to some degree, but there's a sense that we are investing ourselves in it and we're in relationship. And once you're in a relationship and you trust someone, you're open to the possibility of music moving you farther than you would. It has to happen in a relationship of trust. So I'm hoping that music directors have built up a trust with their communities so that they can say, here's a song that we need to sing, even though it may not be what we always want to sing. I don't think All Are Welcome is that radical a piece. Um, I can pretty much point to any line in it and say, here it is in the gospel. Uh, 
I, I, you know, while I can understand that it upsets some people, I really don't feel that it is contrary to the gospel. I think there's a lot of things in the gospel that really upset people too. <laughs> so if I were an aspiring composer, I'd say, what is God wanting us as a church to look at? And it's usually the difficult stuff. The stuff that sounds political, and I think people say the church shouldn't be political. But I don't think universal welcome in the name of Christ is political. I think that's gospel. I think care for and tending for God's creation and seeking ways to nurture it and asking ourselves and others to live simply and to live in a way that doesn't destroy and devalue the earth is not political. I think that's gospel. And now here's a recording of All Are Welcome in its entirety. All are welcome, all are welcome, all are welcome in this place.
Thank you for listening to the Open Your Hymnal podcast. All Are Welcome is published by GIA Publications. The recording you heard was released by GIA Publications on the album All Are Welcome. Links to this material and other resources can be found at our website, openyourhymnal.com. We'd like to specially thank Marty Haugen for this interview. Production assistance and support was also provided by Lori True, Michelle Hugh, David Haas, and St. Catherine University. Be sure to follow Open Your Hymnal on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you haven't done so yet, you can subscribe to this podcast through iTunes. Our next episode will feature an interview with composer Lori True and her setting of the Irish blessing, May the Road Rise to Meet You. She did not know what this was at all. And she said, how beautiful, what a beautiful poem. And I said, Laura, you do not know the Irish blessing. You are almost full-blooded Irish. She's like, no, I had never heard of it. And so she was 17 at the time, about ready to graduate, and just a lovely, lovely young woman. And so I decided to make a gift for her by setting this song. For Open Your Hymnal, I'm Zach Stahowski. And I'm Matt Riker. Thanks for listening. Thanks.